We are in Titus chapter 2. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to open your Bible, your copy of God's Word to that section. We're looking at verses 1 through 10. This is part 4. There will be more parts. So we've, we've covered some already, and I've said a lot. We've covered some. <laughs> we haven't covered a lot. I've said a lot. So I would encourage you to, to go back. If you've missed anything, maybe catch up. This section of Titus was written in order to instruct the Christians in Crete and us by extension, as God providentially would include it in the canon of Scripture or make it, part, make it Scripture. But it was, it was written in order to instruct the Christians in Crete concerning the behavior that goes with or agrees with the gospel that they had believed so that their lives, these Christians in Crete, their day-to-day conduct would display to the world the true beauty, power, and joy that the gospel really is. On the flip side, the negative side, so that their lives wouldn't contradict that gospel or discredit it in some way because they were not living consistently with it or in light of it. So that's what we've been covering, the conduct of a congregation and the gospel's reputation. Now, in that, we have been focused a great deal on conduct or behavior, specifically of Christians, right? That's what we've been covering. We'll keep covering that for a few more Sundays, certainly. And I thought it's always good, probably, when we do that, when we're heavily heavily concentrated on conduct, behavior, that... We pause just for a moment, and, uh, or I pause, and give you a warning. The warning is this. We shouldn't uh, hear all of this information about conduct and behavior and think of works-based salvation. And hopefully we, we as Christians who know the gospel, truly know the gospel, would not fall into that trap. That certainly could be a trap if, you grew, uh, if you're Catholic or if you grew up Catholic, So maybe you'd be tempted to think that way, but the idea goes like this. If I live a good life, if I behave well, then I will merit salvation with God, or I will earn my way incrementally into the kingdom of God or into heaven. Or I'll look back, if I stack up enough good works or good conduct or good behavior, then at the end God will say, well, it looks like it was enough, and let me in. And that is not true. That is not true. Right, beloved? That is not true. You can't do enough. You're guilty before God. All of us are guilty. We don't enter into the kingdom of heaven in the world to come, in the next life, through what we do. We enter in through trusting in what he did, the Lord Jesus Christ, and who he is. It's only through that. It's his good work. It's his righteousness, and it's the forgiveness that we all need and we cannot buy or purchase or earn that we find through the death of Christ. So hopefully you don't fall into that trap, but again, just want to state that. But there's another warning, another one that you could fall into, 
as we focus heavy on conduct and behavior. And by the way, the Bible focuses heavily on conduct and behavior, so we shouldn't shy away from it. As my dear brother Tim was saying in Ephesians, as we're reading through that book, you have conduct, conduct, doctrine, teaching, instruction in the first half, and then based on that doctrine and teaching and instruction, you have, did I say that right? No, I messed that all up. I, I did. I shouldn't have said that. Thank you. I backtracked. That's so weird when that happens. So instruction, doctrine in the first half. In the last half, it's conduct, behavior. He's going to say, based on this, then this. This is how you should live in light of this. It's kind of the same thing we're talking about now. So the Bible addresses these matters all the time. We are called to live a certain way. And, by the way, empowered to do that. But here's the warning as we focus on these things. That would be something that you could fall into, certainly, and Christians do, which is performance-based Christianity. And by that, I mean, and Mahaney and his book, Cross-Centered Life, has done a great job of that little book I hand out to those who become formal members here. It's this idea that if I'm really good today, if I am really do good conduct and I act well, then God will love me more. He'll love me more. And on the days that I'm doing poorly and I'm not acting as I should or acting well or behaving rightly, then God loves me less. And so over here, I feel, I feel condemned. I feel down. I'm in the dumps. Over here, I'm feeling like, look at me. I'm, look, God loves me because of, I'm doing so well. And that's called performance-based Christianity. And that is also not biblical. It is not biblical. God, and in the book, he says it like this, something like this, God cannot love you any less on your worst day, nor does he. God does, let me just say it that way. God does not love you any less on your worst day, if you're a Christian, and God does not love you any more on your best day, if you are a Christian. Why? Well, because he loves you in Christ. Now, tying this all together with what Tim was saying, he loves you in Christ. He sees you in Christ. You are wearing the robe of righteousness that is Christ's robe, not your own, because you have no righteousness of your, of your own. You are forgiven in Christ. So in Christ, love is poured out to you. And because Christ doesn't change, he is always righteous, always perfect, then the love extended to you remains the same. It remains the same. And so I don't need to wallow over here in condemnation when I'm when I'm having a bad day, bad hour, bad week, when I misbehave, when I act as I shouldn't act, rather, because I know I'm still flooded with the love of God and his grace, that motivates my heart to cry out to him, to repent, to turn back to him, and pick up where I left off and follow him again. And over here, when I'm having a good day, instead of saying, well, now, look, God must love me a lot today, I don't think like that. I know he loves me Today, as much as he loved me yesterday when I was in the ditch, and I simply rejoice in the goodness that I'm seeing in my life that he's pouring into my life, and I give credit and praise to him for the good day that I'm having. Okay, so that's performance-based Christianity. We don't want to fall into that trap. And because we're focused on behavior, we don't want to fall into self-righteousness, the trap of self-righteousness. That looks like this. We're going through these items, right? And you're like, hey, I've got that down. You know? I must be pretty good. 
right? It's one thing over here where you're like, oh man, I feel like a, a wreck. I mean, I feel like he's talking right to me. All these things are just not true of my life or not as, to the degree that I, they should be and I feel terrible. Good, feel terrible. Good. Repent, right? And then turn and walk in the way you're to walk. That's good. That's a good process. But over here, if you're actually doing those things, there's a danger sometimes because of our sinful hearts where you're like, look at me, I'm doing pretty, pretty, pretty good. And on top of that, then we look around, we're really good at this. We look around at someone who's not doing it as well as we're doing it. And we have an air about us that starts to build up in us. Look at, I, I mean, why can't they get their act together? <laughs> I mean, I did. And that self-righteousness is so corrosive and dangerous and destructive because you're doing well in an area, you know what? If you're doing well in an area, the only thing you should be doing is praising God. Because if you're really, truly are doing well in an area, it's only because he's working out his grace in your life. It's only because of the Holy Spirit that you were given as a gift that's empowering you towards these things, to do these things. It's only because that, it's only because you have the word of God and you're reading it and taking it in and, and obeying it and coming under it that you're able, again, a gift from God. It's all from God if you're able to comply with what he's called you to do. It's from him. So give him praise, give him thanks. It's good. And when you look at your brother or sister who maybe isn't there yet or is struggling, instead of saying, well, I don't know what their problem is, maybe you would say, Oh, dear brother and sister, I'm gonna, I'm, I see you, I see you in your mess. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray. I might even come alongside you, if that's appropriate, if I know you well enough, and I might even encourage you. I could tell you that, look, I've, I was a mess too in that area, and now I'm here. I'm here by God's grace, by God's grace. And just be careful of self-righteousness, though. That's what I see pop up. Well, I'm getting it done. Okay, well, good for you. I'm good. But it's only because of God's work in your life. Why can't they get it done? Well, I don't know. At one time, maybe you weren't getting it done either. My goodness. And oh, by the way, because you're getting it done and you're in line, just, you know, I hope this doesn't happen, but I don't know about you in my own personal life, but I thought I, I, thought I had it, and then all of a sudden, boom, like all of a sudden, what happened? I, where did it go? I'm a mess again. I thought I had that down. I thought I was a kind man. I just unloaded on that person, or at least in my head. Beloved, listen, let's think about that. Just think about this in the shower this morning. It's where I get the best thoughts, honestly. But thinking about self-righteousness, how ugly it is, how, how dangerous it is, even to the body of Christ, even to one another, because we do this with our spouses, too, you know? If they're not coming along quick enough, well, I don't know what your problem is, you know? It's like, are you kidding me? But I was thinking, if, now you be honest, every single one of you in here, if your thoughts throughout the day were displayed on an LCD screen above your head, every single one, you couldn't cover up the LCD screen, even better, the LCD screen is connected to the internet, even better, Facebook. Boy, wow, that would be a shocker, wouldn't it? Oh, I thought they were such happy, wonderful people, so loving. Look at all these Facebook posts. Where are those coming from? Right from their brain. <laughs> huh? Would you, be, would you be embarrassed ever? Come on, let's be honest. There's no room for self-righteousness in Christ. So if you're doing well, praise God. 
thank God and encourage your brothers and sisters in these things. If you're not doing well, repent, look to God, but don't, don't look around at other people who are struggling too and, and condemn them and judge them, but encourage them, pray for them. Verse 1, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled or discredited. We'll stop there. There's uh, it continues to verse 10, but for the sake of time, we're not going to get past that anyway. So we left off last time in verse 2. Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And we left off with this, uh, this threesome down here, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. We didn't cover that. So Paul here, in regard to older men, are those that would be the natural leaders of the church, the community, and they were to be mentors and models and examples to the body of Christ-likeness. He says of them, he says they are to be sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. And the idea is their personal faith and love and steadfastness. So again, the word sound is used. The word sound, he, Paul used that word in reference to doctrine in verse 1 of chapter 2. And just to remind you, it refers to that which is healthy, healthy or whole, or as one person put it, to that which is as it ought to be, okay? So not disease, not deficient, not corrupt, healthy, whole, that which is as it ought to be. So they are to be healthy in faith, whole in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. They are to be models, examples to the church of healthy faith, love, and steadfastness. That's the call. That's, that's behavior that goes along with the gospel, agrees with the gospel, is motivated by the gospel. So when you think of sound in their faith, sound in their faith, what does that mean? Healthy in their faith, well, one writer says they do not question as a rule of thumb, as, as a general characteristic of their life. So it's not... They perfectly always do this all the time. They, they never, ever have any doubts about their faith. That's not even the most strong Christians, okay? At certain seasons of life, they may not be sound in faith, okay? When confronted with various circumstances, they may have a dip. That's... so. The idea that they would, they would never, ever have any doubts. They would never, ever question God. They would never, ever be even angry at God about something. Are you serious? No. What he's saying is, though, as a general rule of thumb, these people, you look at their lives, they're sound in faith. You can say that about them. They're not unsound. They're not unhealthy. Their faith is as it ought to be. You get me? That's what you should be striving for. That's what the older men are to be as examples to the body. So, they do not question his wisdom. That's what it would mean to be sound in faith, that God's wisdom, or power, or love. And they do not lose trust in his goodness and grace, or lose confidence in his divine plan 
and divine wisdom. These are ideas of what it would be to be sound in faith, not doubting the truth or sufficiency of God's word or wavering in their divinely assured hope that his sovereign plan will be fulfilled. Sound in faith. Sound in faith. Sound in their love. Sound in their love. They have a healthy love. In regard to what? Love for God. It's healthy. It's as it ought to be. And consequently, a love for God will flow out from that a love for others as it ought to be. A love for the body of Christ, a love for brothers and sisters, a love for the lost, a love for one another, a love for husband, a love for wife, a love for children, a love for those that are around you, a proper love, a biblical love. And by the way, how would I know if someone's sound in love? Because it shows up. It shows up. Biblical love shows up. You can see it. Right? It's not just a, a feeling. Yeah? It's not just a feeling. Certainly, there are feelings attached to biblical love, but biblical love is first and foremost an action, uh, an act. It is, a, as we defined it before many times, a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. It shows up. It acts. It works. Okay? That's, how else would I be able to say that man is sound in faith? If it was just Wow, he's got a lot of loving feelings inside. How would I ever know that, right? He's sound in faith. I see it because I can see his love for God. It shows up because he serves God. He gives his life to God. He follows after God. I, can, I know that man's sound in faith because he loves others. He sacrifices for others. He looks out for the other's good, right? Sound in faith, sound in love, sound in their steadfastness. Another translation is endurance. So sound in their endurance or perseverance. One writer says the word there, sound in their steadfastness, steadfastness, it speaks of staying power over the long run in a Christian's relationship with God and people. God and people. You know what? They don't give up on either. Steadfastness. The Christian who is sound in their steadfastness doesn't give up on God. And he doesn't give up on people. He stays the course. He's not fickle. Or she's not fickle. You know fickle? One writer says, They do not lose heart when things do not turn out the way they had hoped and expected. But they have confidence. They have confidence that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Oh yeah, that's a verse in the Bible, Romans 8, 28. Beloved, I keep saying this behavior is behavior that goes along with the gospel, okay? Consistent with the gospel, is in accord with the gospel. This behavior is certainly in accord with the gospel. Think about it, the cross, as I meditate upon the cross and the resurrection of Christ, that should help me be sound in faith. Because the second I'm questioning God's wisdom or power or love is the second that I think I've moved away from the cross. If I stay there, if I meditate on that, if I let that have its way with me, then I would have no reason to question God's wisdom and how he worked out my salvation, his power 
and how he saved me and his love and the great sacrifice that he made to make me his own. As I look into the gospel, as I focus on the gospel, certainly what's reinforced is my thinking about and allegiance to God's power, God's wisdom, God's love. I don't question it. I know it to be true because I know the cross. Sound in love, sound in love, wouldn't the gospel, wouldn't that be gospel behavior, sound in love, healthy in love? 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Here we go again. As I go back to the gospel, as I soak in the gospel, there I see love in its fullest, in its greatest And there I find the motivation to and the power to and the encouragement to, to love, to love, to love God and to love others just as my Lord loved me. If God so loved us, 1 John 4, 11, we ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. These are all These are all realities and conduct and behavior that are rooted in the gospel. We don't behave as we ought many times because we forget the gospel or maybe we don't know it as we should or we let our mind be filled with all kinds of other things than the message of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his life, his words, his work. How about sound in their steadfastness? Sound in their steadfastness. How would the gospel move us towards such things? I don't know. Remember, we've been studying about disciples, right? Disciples in our recent growth group book. And you remember that that great call to go into all the world and make disciples, right? And what's the promise that Jesus leaves towards the end as we're going about the business of calling people unto Christ and helping them grow in Christ? What is that, that promise that the Lord Jesus himself makes for us? Huh? I'll be with you always until the very end of the age. I will be with you. I won't leave you. I'll stick with you. The Lord sticks with me. I stick with him then. And I stick with others. He sticks with me. And I find in that the hope and the power to stick. I know that Paul says in Philippians that God will complete this good work that he has begun in me. He sticks, he stays. I'm called to be like my Father in heaven. So I stick, I stay, as I think upon the blessings and the glories of the gospel. Well, beloved, after addressing the behavior of older men, Paul turns to the older women of the church. That takes us to verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. Another translation says reverent in the way they live. Another translation just says lead a holy life. Another translation says live in a way that honors God. Those are all good, but I'm going to tell you the translation I love the best because it really captures, I think, the word that's actually there, reverent, in, is the NET. It translates it this way. Older women likewise likewise are to exhibit behavior fitting for those who are holy. 
fitting for those who are holy. Literally, behavior that becomes sacred ones. Behavior that becomes sacred ones. Sacred ones is the idea of those dedicated to God, set apart unto God to live and serve for Him. Let me ask you something. Are you a sacred one? Because sometimes maybe I just don't know if we think about ourselves rightly. I'm a sinner. Yes. I think sometimes we, we might spend too much time just on that particular category of us. We are, we are sinners, okay. But you'll notice that the Bible refers to us as saints, as those set apart, as holy ones, sacred ones, set apart unto God to serve Him, to live for Him, to love Him, set apart for His use, for His purposes. We are His, bought and purchased, paid for, that we might serve Him. And so this is behavior, as Paul says here, that becomes sacred ones. It's it's what you would expect. It's what's appropriate for those who are sacred or set apart unto God. So let me ask again. Christian, are you set apart unto God? Yes, you are. So there is behavior that is fitting for those who have been set apart unto God. That's it. You got to get that. Becoming. Behavior that is becoming. Like, you might say, that's unbecoming, you know, of that, that's... Uh, Officer, I'm trying to think of a phrase that people use. Behavior unbecoming of an officer might be a phrase that people use, or, or they might put something else in there, right? That might be, what is that? Behavior that's unbecoming of an officer. Behavior that doesn't fit with what you should be as a, an officer or even like in a military situation. There's certain expectations on you as that person. Guess what? There's certain expectations on you as one who has been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ and set apart, set apart from sin, set apart from the world, set apart unto God that you might now serve him, live for him, glorify him in your daily life. And so he says, older women likewise, they are to exhibit behavior fitting for those who are holy, just as older men, just as every Christian is to exhibit that behavior, behavior that is becoming of one who is sacred, who belongs to God, who is a child of God. You get it? One writer says, reverent translates, reverent in translates a single Greek word used only here in the New Testament. So it's only here that this word is used. The word has the root meaning of being priest-like. Priest-like. Listen, listen. Uh, just for a second. If you saw a Catholic priest, right? I'm, trying, I'm doing this on the fly, so it's dangerous now. I realize that. I shouldn't have stepped over here. I'm trying to think. If you, okay, if you saw a Catholic priest... I, Doing, I'm just going to say, I'm going to be real general, very worldly behavior. Uh, you know, huh? You weren't trying to give me ideas? I'll take them. Huh? Oh, boy. See, that's where we're, we're going to get in trouble because then someone's going to throw something out and they'll be like, what? Okay. You know what I'm, all right, partying like a rock star. How about that? Will that work? 
Does that work for you? Will that work? You guys got the imagery? Partering like a rock star, you know, tossing it back. He's got his shirt off. He's up dancing very inappropriately with ladies, right? Would you be shocked? Right, because you're like, wait a minute, that's not fitting for a priest. Yeah, beloved. And there is behavior that we engage in or don't engage in, right? Either way, if we engage, we engage in behavior that's not fitting, and then we don't engage in the behavior that is fitting. It is appropriate. It is right. It should be expected of those who are God's who have been bought and redeemed and set apart from the tyranny and power of sin. That's the point. And, and honest, you've got you to know this and you've got you to believe it. And then when you stop believing it, you've got to say, that's not right. I've got to believe it again. Because your flesh just fights against you 24-7. Maybe you have a flesh that takes vacations. I don't have that. I wish I did. I wish it. Yeah, it's, honestly, I like sleeping. No, I do. I like sleeping because at least I get a break, except for sometimes dreams. But I've stopped dreaming a long time ago. I very rarely dream, which I'm glad for because those dreams weren't always very good either. I'm like, man, I can't escape this nonsense. But 24-7 working on you, right? The last thing it wants you to do is submit yourself to the word of God and walk in holiness and righteousness. The last thing he wants you to do is to believe the truth of the gospel or stay grounded in it that you might walk as you ought to walk. That's the last thing it wants. It lives in rebellion to God, your fallen flesh. But we are to fight. God has given us the tools. You know? He didn't send us into battle like, good luck, you know? So see what you can do. I hope you're strong. <laughs> he already knows we're not strong. We're weak and pathetic. So he supplies, and he supplies in abundance. But you have to use the tools. You have to think rightly. You have to believe. You have to repent. The church is a tool. I'm getting way off course. Paul then, because I know you just can't wait. You want me. I know there's so much here. You're like, I, I want to see what he says about that. And I... I don't want to let you down, so let's keep moving. Paul then points out to two negative bad behaviors that should not be true of older women. For that, beloved, just get it right. It doesn't mean like, well, I'm not an older woman, so this doesn't apply to me. I've already said that. They're, the, they're to be the examples, the models, right? But this is behavior that should be either true or not true, depending on what Paul's saying, of every Christian. These Behaviors shouldn't be true of them, two of them. They are behaviors that would certainly discredit and bring shame on the gospel. What does he say, Titus 2, 3? You know, he says, older women likewise are to exhibit behavior fitting for those who are holy or reverent in behavior, depending on your translation. Then he says, so that's what they are to be. Here's what they're not to be. And he just pulls two out, just two. Not slanders or slaves to much wine. Now, I would imagine there are other things that Paul could have said, but he pulls these out specifically. Well, remember, he, this is a historical letter. It was written in history to a particular people living in a particular place. Paul's addressing that. We then, 2,000 years removed, take this and we look to apply the truths that we find here to our particular lives and context and what's going on here, okay? So there, 
it appears that there was a problem specifically uh, or more um, extra, an additional problem, a specific problem that Paul wanted to call attention to with the older women of Crete, that maybe culturally this is how they acted. And that's why he says, and you, Christian older woman, this should not be true of your life, right? So we can draw parallels because there's plenty of things in our culture that uh, bring shame to the gospel, discredit the gospel, are evil, bad behaviors we shouldn't have any part of, and yet we may have grown up in that or it may be surrounding us all the time. We, that should not be true of our lives. You get me? Now, it just so happens that slanderers and slaves to much wine is still a problem in the 21st century. So it's not like, well, that's just something they, they had a problem with that back on the island, you know, back on Crete there, back in the old days. I guess they did that kind of stuff. <laughs> People are still doing this stuff. But specifically, he addresses it in the matter of older women. One writer says, slanderous talk and drunkenness were among the vices commonly associated with many older women in Greco-Roman society. It was evidently a problem at Crete. And if, if you remember when we started the book, I told you that Crete specifically had a bad reputation concerning their morals. They were kind of known for low morals. Like even, even the pagans, on you know, Greek pagans on the other places, they would be like, oh, Crete. Oof. I mean, these people, they don't live well, morally speaking. One writer puts it this way, the first behavior cited relates to lack of control of the tongue. That's slander. The second relates to lack of control of both one's appetites and purposes. That's given to or slaves of much wine. Either out of control behavior commonly associated with indolent women in the decadent Greco-Roman society would damage the credibility of the life-changing power of the gospel. Indolent women, habitually lazy and slothful, and decadent, in case you just want definitions, characterized by or appealing to self-indulgence or marked by moral decay or decline. So specifically in that historical context, these are two areas that were extra problematic for the people or a part of their culture, certainly, of the older women. They tended to be slanderers and drunkards. <laughs> so remember, these, these folks came out of that culture. So it, it is likely that that was who they were before. It very well could have been. And maybe, since Paul's addressing it, maybe they are still finding themselves giving themselves to these type of things. This is the behavior they did before. This is how their friends act. They get together, you know, older women get together, you know, at the Denny's or something like that, and then they would, you know, slander everyone. Yeah, I don't know, but bottom line is this was their behavior. He says, you, you should, that should not be true of you. That that damages the credibility of the gospel, that the gospel actually transforms people out of their culture, their, the evilness of their culture, that it makes them new, that it causes them to be godly. And that's not godly. Slanders is the other thing they're uh, not to be. or slander, The first, going back now to the specific word, slanders, 
I like the other, another translation of this, slanderers. It's the NASB. It says, not malicious gossips. Not malicious gossips. That actually is a good translation of the uh, underlying word. But uh, you might find this interesting. Not slandering is the plural of, I might be saying it wrong, but it's okay, diabolos. And that might sound familiar to you. It's the word used for the devil. He's the slanderer. Right? One writer says, those persons who cannot control their tongues in speaking lies, false accusations, and spreading malicious gossip do the work of Satan himself. I mean, that's what he is. And just, you know, I thought I would mention when we talk about gossip, this specifically is spreading lies and false truths and, and looking to do harm with the, the messages you're giving to one another about other people. And so you're like, well, it's so, we're so messed up. We're like, well, listen, this isn't a lie. It's the truth. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I'm just I'm telling the truth. I wanted to share it with another sister so she could pray for the other sister who has no idea that we're talking about her. Well, here's the thing about gossip, because generally you don't know if it's true. Like, that's what gossip is. You, it's often not a firsthand account. So you, you assume, you heard something, and then you tell someone else because they told you it was true, but you assume it's true. You weren't there. You don't know what was going on. And so then you tell someone else. So really, you could be spreading lies anyway. And if that's not enough, we can go other places where gossip itself, whether true or not true, is not to be part of the Christian's dialogue or speech. But just think about that. Speaking lies, false accusations. You do the work of Satan himself. That's his name, slander. You know, you think about the directions we're given for speech. Our speech is supposed to edify. Our speech is supposed to build up. Our speech is supposed to encourage. Our speech exhorts, but it exhorts right to the person. Not through someone else. And it's always done in love. It's done for the sake of the other person. Love behind the whole thing. So here you go, a bunch of older women out slandering. <laughs> I'll, I'll quote this guy because I thought it was true and I found it interesting, but he says, just as men are more inclined to abuse others physically, women are more inclined to abuse others verbally. I think there's truth to that which it doesn't mean that men don't gossip or aren't never guilty of gossip. We're just talking about generally speaking. You know, men want to throw their fists, but women use their tongue. And he said that can be even more destructive, and I totally agree. Two guys get in a fist fight, they're friends afterwards. Two women or a bunch of women destroying one another with their words, and it spreads like wildfire, and it leaves scars that are hard to heal. So, the other one is slaves to much wine. We'll end on this one because we're out of time. Slaves to much wine, not enslaved to much wine. Not slaves to excessive drinking is another way it's translated. That's also the NET. I think that's a good translation. Not slaves to excessive drinking. That's not to be part of their lives. These women are to be reverent in their behavior, not 
as the women are around you, maybe in the culture, slanderers, malicious gossips, and not given to excessive drinking, not, not slaves to excessive drinking. You know, I don't, there could be all kinds of reasons that in that particular culture, older women were, I was just thinking about it, just, just, just trying to imagine back, okay? Why older women uniquely might have been given to excessive drinking, getting drunk, drunkenness. Well, I don't know. It wasn't, I don't think it was a lot of fun to be a woman in the first century. I'll say that. It's pretty hard, pretty hard life. I would imagine that, I told you, as an older woman, uh, these are, as we look at it, it appears that these are women that may or may not be married. They might be widowed at this point. They may still be married, but their children would have gone. So they, didn't even, they don't have the joy maybe of children anymore. They're older. We can think of even the current culture, older women and all the pressure. You know, they just start to feel sad, really sad. And the ability to move around in that culture as a woman you really couldn't do it without having a man or with a man's permission and so on and so forth. I could just see all kinds of reasons they might be given to depression, sadness, anxiousness. What if their husband dies? What are they going to do? Because he's their Just all of those things, all of those con- contributing factors. And so as people are given to depression and anxiety and, and such, they sadly often turn to alcohol to try to solve that, to deaden that. And, you know, if that's what all your friends do and, and you do it and that's what we do and let's just all get good and drunk and maybe that'll get us through till tomorrow. But that is not to be the way of the Christian. The Christian, as I've said many, many times before, is to find their hope, their peace, their satisfaction, their value. Their value, their confidence, their security in knowing Christ, in being in Christ, in their salvation, in their hope, in their future inheritance. That he will never leave them nor forsake them. That he will, he will build them up even in their difficult time. He will help them become more like him even through this suffering that he has for them a great inheritance waiting when they get out of this life with all of its difficulties. And in that, I find a peace. You can find, you should find a peace, a satisfaction, where then you're no longer turning to some substance to just drown out the pain. One writer says, Paul's inclusion of this item suggests that alcohol may have been an especially troubling problem among Cretan women. It was a problem among people, but maybe it was especially a problem among Cretan women in that, in that time. They didn't find support, maybe. I don't know, but either way, they turned to something that will destroy them, hurt them, make matters worse, not better. So again, beloved, the gospel, a love for others, uh, the hope and satisfaction and peace that we find in the gospel, these these truths, these things should cause us then not to be slanderers, right? I, it's not, how can you say in any way that it's loving to sit around and slander other people or spread malicious gossip? You're not being motivated, moved, guided, directed, driven by the gospel when you're doing that. You're moved by your fallenness, your sinfulness, what is still evil about you. Not by the gospel, 
And yet, you're going around saying, I'm a person of the gospel, while you're slandering, while you're hurting others with your words. I'm a person of the gospel, while you're getting wasted. That doesn't fit. It discredits the gospel. It brings shame to Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And Father, just little by little, Father, that's how you do it, little by little, chip away at us. I hope it would be the cry of all of our hearts, less of us, more of our Lord, more of him. That's, that is best for us, and that is what you desire, Father, that we would become more and more over time like your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, that doesn't happen by us sitting on our, our hands. That happens by us going after this and pursuing holiness and thinking rightly and thinking hard and asking you to, to probe our hearts and reveal to us any way that doesn't fit. It's not fitting with the gospel. And for that matter, Father, for that matter, there are many things where we don't need you to reveal them to us. We know. We know. We know what we do is wrong. We know it doesn't align with the gospel. And Father, I pray that you would break our stubborn, rebellious hearts. And that you would increase our affections for you and our love for you so that in that, we would long, we would long to live as we ought, to live in the way that you desire us to live. It wouldn't be about us anymore. We'd stop being about us. But our lives would be more and more and more about you, about what you want, about what you desire, about what honors you. That's, that's best for us. We're so stupid, God, we, and you know it. But we're not idiots because you've rescued us and you've taken us out of darkness and brought us into your light. And so for that, we give you such praise, such thanks. Otherwise, we'd still be stumbling around like morons. But that's not the case anymore for us who know Jesus Christ. So Father, flood us with your light. Flood us with your light, Father. May we see rightly that we might live rightly in honor of you and the gospel that has saved us and rescued us. It is in Christ's name we pray, amen.